In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Welcome to the Verhoeven Effect podcast. I'm Colin. And I'm Nathan. Uh, for this first season of Verhoeven Effect, uh, we are going through network television because me and Nathan do not watch network television generally, or at least not for the last uh, 20 years. So we're watching three police procedurals uh, through different times to see what everybody finds that, what do they find that they like about network television? We are watching 2014's NCIS New Orleans. We are watching also 2008's The Mentalist and also watching 1984's Miami Vice. Yeah. Uh, as always, we start with NCIS New Orleans. We have season one, episode 14, Careful What You Wish For. Original air date, February 10th, 2015, CBS Tuesday. When an NCIS agent is gunned down on a detail that Brody was on, the team discovers that the agent's murder was personal. Showrunner Gary Glasberg, written by Scott Shapiro, directed by James Heyman. Yeah, this was a movie that starts off with the NCIS acting as secret service agents for an admiral. <laughs> um, Brody is the yeah. only one we know because the other guys aren't doing this, but she's doing this. Well, there's like another NCIS guy, but he's like from a different yeah. um, state, but he's like coming doing uh, security detail because he's from New Orleans. Yeah, and it also turns um, out he's got deep roots in New Orleans with people's very complicated lives. But <laughs> uh, and the and there the the admiral's going to a meeting and there's a union protest going on. Yes, so that's interesting. <laughs> well, they're moving the admiral's moving the ships from some yard in Louisiana to some yard in Norfolk or somewhere else. I don't know, but yeah, it's yeah. controversial. So the unions are upset about the ship's building being moved there and they think this admiral was the target of a assassination that an agent brody is is uh is on this detail the guy who seems like a nice guy the three minutes you get to know him when they're riding in the suv uh, it's austin hackett is his name yeah but they go to take the the they do a security walk him in through the front because the the admiral wants to like show like he's not afraid then austin gets shot and killed yeah um and so they presumed that the Admiral was the target and he just accidentally got shot. Brody comes under scrutiny because she's like spots some guy being weird because he just looks weird. And then he's reaching in his pocket. And it's like, ah, possible thing. And then when that's not a threat anymore, it's just a phone. That's when the guy gets shot. And so now they have to say that like Brody was hesitating. And, and apparently like, she has a history of this. Yeah. <laughs> which when they described the situation that she like, because she was aboard a ship once and somebody went nuts with a homemade bomb. Yeah. She didn't pull the trigger on him and he ran into the control room and killed people or something. And it's, it's like, you know, and they say, ah, she froze then. And you know, she froze again. And, and this is why she moves around a lot. And they really yeah. like, like throw a lot of weight on Brody for this in two situations. It seemed completely insane that <laughs> no one's going to react like perfectly. It's like, yeah, we're in a confined metal box and this guy has a homemade bomb strapped to his chest. Let's start shooting at him. You know, it's like, I don't, <laughs> It seemed unreasonable how they were treating her, but it's like I know they're propelling a story. I, so th this is 
I would probably say this is probably their worst episode so far. Um, probably because they they try to do way too much. Yeah, like you you have like an A and B story for Brody herself. You have a bunch of Mister X, and nothing is sp- you spend no time kind of mulling over the evidence. It's just you move from one thing to the next, and it's just kind of a big mess. Yeah, this was <laughs> um, not one of my favorites because it, it, it's like it, people seem to come in and say things and have lines, and then just like run out of the room. <laughs> like what, one of the things I like the least is when Dwayne and Brody Pride are talking, and Pride's like, "Yeah, you got to stop running. You got to face this." And it's like, what does she have to face? <laughs> it's like, guy got shot by a high-powered rifle from a rooftop. She could in no way stop that unless yeah, she was. Supposed and she, to- and, yeah, she's arguing to get back on the case. And he's telling her she's being scared of doing an interview. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a really mixed up. Like it was a it was a heavy story. What well, I mean by heavy, I mean like oh, there's lots of heavy stuff going on, and maybe yeah. this is a, a time for character development. But then it was under like ridiculous circumstances. Like no, she acted perfectly fine in every situation <laughs> she was presented with. From from my point of view, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We have Patton and Sebastian have like a conspiracy off because they think Hackett's likely target. But I just from the beginning just put question mark. Like I don't think they're even. I don't think the Admiral is even the target. Yeah. So that ends up being true. He's like, I wrote a question mark. One of the, the biggest gun runners in the city. It's like, how do you know that information? <laughs> oh, that guy. He's the biggest gun runner. It's like, how do you know that? It's like, he, he's not even being like put in prison yet for it. <laughs> if you know that um, he should be arrested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause the, yeah, the guy that they, they, well, they try to put it on some of the, the dock workers. Uh, cause I want, cause I, you know, usually these action shows are very run by very conservative people. So I was waiting for like them to blame the union for yeah, it. I was, I was figuring it's like, <laughs> ah, that, uh, the big, big, big labor flexing its muscle again and sh- killing government <laughs> agents. Like, but also yeah. these shows are made by, you know, a union. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the good ones. You know. <laughs> we have Hackett, the guy who got murdered. Uh, the Moke is the gun gun runner. Yeah, put him in prison, and so they are speculating that he shot him for personal reasons. Uh, but then he finds out that, like, no, he got like an illegal gun from the guy to give to this woman that they think they have a relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's like he know. had dealings with him, yes, but to to do what he does is like I need a gun that's not registered to anything. <laughs> so she can protect herself from like they originally think it's the husband and yeah. then the, the then they find her dead body at a hotel and then like oh obviously the husband did it and then they're doing the autopsy and the husband shows up at the autopsy room it's like what the f- is going on <laughs> with the kid yeah say goodbye to mommy you know it's like what kind of <laughs> weird guy is this and at the end, the kid's playing video games with with uh, LaSalle. And I'm like, does the kid know his mom's dead? Uh, that sucks. How about some Mario Kart? You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, just cleanse the palate with a little Mario Kart or, so, or whatever they're playing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it ends up being this thing where it's like all these people from high school are connected. And this guy is supposed to be a promising politician. Who he says he's running for governor, but they call him a senator. It's like, is a governor a more prized position than a senator? I, think I know he's sometimes a state senator. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think. Okay. I, don't, I don't know if this Louisiana has a unicameral. I, th- I think <laughs> it's a state senator. 
Oh, okay. I don't know. I know like sometimes a like, governorship is more of a, is more of a leapfrog to the presidency than uh, if you're a Senator in Congress sometimes. But. Yeah. Cause you don't have a voting record that they can like track clearly if you're a governor <laughs> versus a Senator, you know, it's like, Oh, he voted to, to, uh, you know, take away your Medicaid or something. <laughs> Yeah, which is weird. Well, and sometimes, well, sometimes you just be a personality and a governor, uh, and you get voted in. I mean, that's like Reagan and and Clinton. Are yeah, both that. So let's talk about them on the Verhoeven effect. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so yeah, it ends up being that the uh, the guy running for Senate had one of his guys like kill the woman because also it ended up being like the kid wasn't the one guys, but ends up being the other guys, and the kid is a disease, and like the one guy who's running for president like can. He, he can possibly have like a, a yeah, genetic, has some kind of blood cancer donor. that you need a, a yeah your genetic parents can do that for you it was really contrived <laughs> it was like well yeah i had an affair and then made this guy's husband into a or this gal's husband into a cuck for like 12 years or whatever and it's like well yeah this guy's hateful i get it but also seems like a buffoon yeah. <laughs> oh but yeah promising career until now um and then also then at the end you yeah, Brody does the interview and you find out she had a twin and because the guy had blue eyes with the suicide vest on the USS Moultrie that's why she hesitated to shoot him even though like as soon as he enters the next room the bomb blows up anyway yeah <laughs> without even him hitting the switch or whatever like it just went off anyway <laughs> yeah the whole thing like i said i hated her story arc but not because of her or an yeah. actor or as a character, but what they wrote in around it, like they had to have that. Like he had blue eyes, like my twin sister that died or something. It's like, no, he had a homemade bomb strapped to him and I was in a big metal box. I didn't think shooting <laughs> him would be germane to saving anyone. <laughs> That's what she should have said. Are you an asshole? <laughs> Go throw a hand grenade in a 55-gallon drum and then jump in and tell me what the results are going to be. But no, she didn't do that. I really despise that whole story arc. I was like, oh, this is yeah. dumb. Brody does yeah. not seem like someone who hesitates. And anyone yeah. who pulls out a gun and doesn't have a moment of thought, oh, I don't want those people to be in law enforcement. We got enough of that shit going on where you just, <laughs> ah, I see the solution here. Pow, pow, pow. No, no. So it was dumb, but, you know. Yeah, yeah that was NCIS New Orleans. Not not the strong hand this week, for sure. <laughs> no. Yeah, because, like, the last episode was probably, like, their most impactful episode. <laughs> that was their follow-up. This is they just scraped everything off the writing room floor. They got cut out and <laughs> threw it in a blender. This is this week's episode. This is more like typical network TV shit. This, this, is, yeah, like, right. this is when we get into the typical, like, yeah, that's why I don't watch a lot of this. <laughs> for this reason right here. And look, everything doesn't have to be perfect, but it also doesn't have to be obvious. Yeah, yeah. So we have our second show, The Mentalist, Season 1, Episode 14, Crimson Casanova. Original air date, February 10th, 2009, CBS Tuesday. So last week I said they moved to Sunday, but that apparently was, I don't know, a special episode. I don't know. I double-checked it. They That last episode was on Sunday. This one's on. They're back on the Tuesday schedule. So Oh, okay. And apparently looking at some other stuff, apparently the show moves to thursday at some point but i don't know so it must have been a special episode special sunday presentation of the mentalist last time anyways they had the wife of a wealthy businessman is found shot to, to death in a spa and the cbi suspects that her womanizing lover is connected to the murder we have showrunner bruno heller written by ken woodruff and directed by leslie linka glatter 
This is high society murder at a spa or something. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a house at first. And I was like, it's a hotel, and then it's like a spa, and then you know, and a restaurant. It's everything. <laughs> yeah, it just looked like a really fancy like house at first, and yeah. But I guess this is like, well, this is the sets we got this week. So, well, I thought there was going to be something because like you saw one side, there was light on one window, and there's darkness in the other window, and that's where the gunshot is. Yeah, and I was like, oh, is there going to be like a dark house and a lighthouse and then like no it's not <laughs> it's just a black lodge and the white lodge <laughs> twin peaks you know no. <laughs> claire wolcott is the body uh we have some blood splatter analysis by jane yes which at that time was fine now it's kind of more proven as nebulous science <laughs> yeah it's, it's basically fluid dynamics with without any science behind it it's like well, yeah. fluid dynamics is a real thing because it's predictable blood spatter yeah. not so much um or at least not the way it's been used in court yeah i'm sure because remember like all the bullet analysis they were doing where they said oh we can tell by the lead and how it was formed together like the fbi was peddling that for years and people went to prison because they said oh the lead and the bullets were the same even though like they couldn't tell from the rifling or they didn't have any casings about what the primer looked like so then they said, well, the lead's the same, and we can prove it through some process, which later, like, the, all the courts threw out is like, that's just horse <laughs> Blood spatter and bullet analysis are like the 90s and early 2000s version of the satanic panic, where they had people <laughs> come into court and like, I'm a demonologist, and I can tell you why all these murders happened, or what, and then it turns out, yeah, the guy got, like, a degree from, uh, you know, the University of something and it's like you you basically answer questions and give them five thousand dollars and they give you a degree yeah, same kind of <laughs> shit. but anyway go ahead jane is able to follow a blood trail to the guy that slept with the lady before getting shot and then after getting shot he ends up sleeping with a doctor who fixes him up which is weird <laughs> yeah it's, it's like, like i'm coming to you with a gunshot that i received and you know and some nefarious thing like you want to have sex it's like <laughs> yes and it's like, oh, I guess I should have called the cops about that lady get killed. Oh, well. <laughs> but I didn't do it. I clocked that the, they have the manager knocks on the door and asks, and the way that it was put in the show, it was kind of like shoved in there. It's like, okay, this guy's going to be a plot point later on. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I picked up the lady that, the Katie, there's like a shot when they have like everybody there, and you see Katie up front with the name clearly says Katie. And it's like she's gonna be one too, and yeah, she's part of it. The the guy's like a pickup artist. He didn't kill the lady. They kind of suspect him because because he is or he's a suspect because he's the last person to be with her. But um, he didn't kill her. But he is oddly suspicious. So. He's like a weird gigolo type guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a pickup artist at the time. That's what okay. it's all. Have you ever heard of negging and stuff like that? Or you, no. Make, Oh yeah, it's like where you basically you go up to a beautiful woman and like you say something negative about her and then you basically walk away and then she'll be like basically try to impress you because you're not impressed with her when she's obviously beautiful. It's like the weird pickup artist stuff. Oh, you're you're trying to appeal to her insecurities to better down. Yeah. Oh, that's gross. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole <laughs> books and yeah, that's what this. I mean, that's what this whole thing's based on. It was huge at the time. So. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> another social thing I missed. Oh yeah, that's what happens of... when you're married for 25 years. It's yeah, like, well, yeah, you don't worry yeah. about that shit anymore. Cause... Yeah, yeah. What would you know about any of dating stuff or anything like that? But yeah, at the time, the stuff. Yeah, because there's you know several like reality shows based on this. There's a guy. I think it, the book's just called like The Pickup Artist, but there's several books that are just the exact same thing that's just done up differently. 
Huh. Yeah, it's Mr. Frick is the pickup artist in this show. So. And I um, use the current term gigolo because everyone uses that term. <laughs> well, well, that more implies he's getting paid for it. Although he does say he's able to extract money from the women. So. Yeah, it's all these rich people. So, yeah, it's a rich yeah, people yeah. place. Any place time you go to a, a place where you don't know if it's a house, a spa, or a restaurant, you're at a place where rich people are. <laughs> <laughs> then they have, like, uh, Keith Walcott, who is the husband uh, of the of the victim who is such a cookie cutter caricature of a rich yeah, yeah it's like oh i want this guy to be guilty <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like too obvious so it's like well obviously it's not him it's not it's him but obvious. i hate this guy so <laughs> yeah uh yeah i love when they have cho interview him i wrote down the dialogue yeah that's uh, the best <laughs> he Walcott goes, Mr. Cho, I can make one phone call and your career is toast. And, and Cho goes, that's impressive. The best I can get with one phone call is a pizza. Yeah, I, I, I like, <laughs> like, I don't care what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> he never misses a beat either. His expression doesn't change. He just, yeah. it's like, that's back to the questions. Uh, <laughs> Cho, Cho is great in every episode. They give yeah. him like one scene and he always knocks it out of the park. Yeah, that guy's a good actor. I like him. Naive but in control at the same time. Yeah. Uh, well, and just his deadpan humor is just like second to none. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like the humor of Jane is always too it's always too silly. Yeah, it's it's and, it's kind of just, nuanced and also on the nose at the same time. Well, it's also just always at, at odds with what they're doing. Like, we're doing a murder investigation. Time to have slapstick comedy. <laughs> I'm going to go have a Sunday and eat it in a goofy way. It's like, what? Okay, Sherlock, you go do your go do your heroin or whatever, and we'll, we need you to piece this together. We'll come get you. You have Natalie as the second suspect because she had, like, some charges, theft charges against her based on Claire Wolcott, the uh, the victim. Yeah, she was, like, an assistant to the rich lady. Yeah. Rich lady's assistant is what I wrote her down as. And then, like, she ends up, like, Jane, like, does the weird hand thing again uh, and, like, walks around the walks around the apartment looking for, you know, when her blood will rise and he finds, like, a camera and it, like... It finds the Mr. Frick, like, I think it was also sleeping with her, and there's, like, some jealousy, but it ends up she's not the killer either, but uh, no. also, they like, go back to the scene, and this is where Jane figures out that, like, the doors can, can't can be open from the outside, so, like, somebody would have to come in from, like, the front door to kill, because uh, that's where the guy fled out, So, but he couldn't come back in, so that kind of exonerates Mr. Frick for the moment. Uh, this yeah, is the most out. obvious guy <laughs> with a gunshot wound. <laughs> who then proceeds to like hey, can i have like can you repair a gunshot wound which you're supposed to call the police for every time you could lose your medical license before for it and let's, <laughs> let's have sex too uh, i don't know it just shows how good he is uh i'm gonna talk about the negative aspects of like you being a doctor or something <laughs> and go sleep together also like this guy isn't necessarily like generally handsome he's just kind of like a well-dressed dork but <laughs> yeah uh, which that plays into like the rest of the. Of they don't the have show. some throwaway line like he must be hung like a mule, and Joe's <laughs> no. like, yeah, you know, no, they don't do that. Okay. <laughs> Jane and Rigsby like go to the the restaurant, and this is the second time we see Katie. She's serving people. Uh, there's also like somewhere there's two thousand dollars in the mix because Claire Walcott was going to give Mister Frick that to like start a, a club or something. Yeah. Uh, but which then easily enough seed money to start a club in California. <laughs> 
Uh, but then Mr. Wolcott like cancels the check. And, you know, after that's where that's where she gets killed. So that's why they like suspicion all around. Jane pisses off Mr. Wolcott by like going to his party and like slapping him in the face. It's like your wife's dead. Now you're having a party. You're an awful human being. <laughs> well, if, at first he won't talk to the one cop. He's like, we'll continue this discussion tomorrow. And he raises his voice haughty. And then Jane's yeah. standing in the background. He's like, really? You don't want to talk about, you know, your wife's lover? <laughs> like in front of all his friends like this yeah, is a party yeah. and which i think is cool I, I would i could actually imagine myself doing stuff like that if people <laughs> talk to me that way let's talk about your inability to please a woman like, what <laughs> with either money or sex god you can't I mean you have it all and you can't handle any of it don't invest with this guy he's an idiot <laughs> that's not no, what happened but no, I mean, that's, that's where you'd like, it's like, well, this also, it's like, it seems most obvious that the husband was the murderer, but yeah, but then we have, uh, Jane has an idea, but they don't really say what it is, but they have Cho being a pickup artist, which is kind of a fun scene, yeah, <laughs> or a fun series of scenes where it's like him being all suave and then saying things that's in his ear and not saying things that are in his ear. And then he ends up taking Katie back to his, his room and then he's like i'm a police officer this is a stings and then she starts crying immediately it's all comic <laughs> it's all cop comedically done yeah it was weird she started crying it's like what is it illegal for two people to have sex in a hotel what does it matter <laughs> if he's a cop but yeah i know that the show it was to imply that she's guilty of other stuff but yeah. in that scene i was like why is she freaked out for it's like you have sex with whoever you want to as long as they're not but under they 18 but then they up it's, it ends up being a sting for the hotel manager who I guess was in love with Katie and then Katie's in love with Mr. Frick and Mr. Frick is a pickup artist so he's sleeping with hundreds of ladies or whatever. Yeah. Um yeah, because they had that one scene where they're interviewing all the people he slept with from his his phone and it's just like literally hundreds of people. And it's like, oh, this is just A through M for today. <laughs> uh, I got A. You ever heard of AIDS? <laughs> herpes or yeah. So yeah, it's a hotel manager. And then you have like one last scene where Jane's at the bar. Oh, yeah, this like is a, ladies... like the most poignant, cruel scene in the show. <laughs> where like the ladies like invite him over and he like denies them. He's like, he says he's married. And so he shows off his ring. And now I'm wondering, has he had that wedding ring on the whole time? <laughs> I just haven't noticed. And so something to look back for, I guess. Well, Jane's <laughs> never tried to seduce for all his powers. Like seduction is not something well not for sex he's done that to get no he usually people. does it on a dare but it's also to get more evidence yeah it's, it's never like to serve some ending um but yeah that was kind of sad because like in his mind like as far as this show goes and this case goes like yeah he is still married i mean it's it's like yeah you know and so that's sad it's the sad jane moments when you realize it's like oh, this guy's really not so fun um <laughs> i mean he is fun but it's like inside he's like a very torn up person. So. Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun episode, but yeah, this is still we're fine. still kind of lighthearted. Yeah, a very but well, a Cho heavy episode, so great Cho. Moments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Cho's my favorite guy uh, yeah. as far as like because Jane's fascinating, but Cho's like the most believable as a policeman. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, this is what cops are are like. <laughs> They're not crazy, quirky people that jump around and manipulate yeah. people, and you know. Well, also like him, the way he's kind of like stoic and unemotional is sort of like, it's also a routine and it's something he puts on. Yeah. But also, but so like when he's not on the job, he probably, he's probably just, just a normal person. <laughs> yeah. Well, in real life, he's kind of naive. 
Yeah. Like him and Van Pelt sort of like they pass the naive trophy back and forth <laughs> in every episode. It's like, who's going to be the most naive this episode, Van Pelt or Cho? And, and Rigsby is just too clueless all the time to be too naive. <laughs> Rigsby's there to hit people. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, get your gun out, hit him. This is what we... You know, he's he's the guy that he's like the enforcer. <laughs> well, here on this episode, he's kind of be the he's kind of like played the fool because he's like trying to listen to the pickup artist and employ his tactics on to Van Pelt, who has none, who is having none of it. Yeah, it only works on women that choose not to know you're doing that and are just along yeah. for the fantasy. Because I don't imagine if they have all these books and stuff about this this kind of dating and stuff, it's like well, anyone can read those books. And women yeah. know a lot more about emotional manipulation and things than men do because men don't just usually don't think like that unless they're trying to. So it's got to be pretty easy to pick out. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, that's what this guy's doing. I always try to amaze women. It's like, hey, you ever seen a flamethrower? <laughs> Come out back, watch this. You want to gut deer with me later? You know, that's, <laughs> that's how you know. That's how you find a keeper. Anyone who's like, oh, let me shoot it. You know, it's like they're just right in the zone. <laughs> that's a keeper. <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, if you want to be a pickup artist, all you got to do is like have a good job and be able to play an instrument. Then you're golden. <laughs> yeah. You can't just have a good job. Nobody cares about that. <laughs> I've never. Well, people do, but. I've never really managed to achieve either of those things. I've, <laughs> all musical notes sound similar to me. And I mean, I have a, I do technically have a good job when it's stable, but. Well, I saw this like, you know, like YouTube video and it, like, it doesn't mean anything, but it was very funny. It, it was a guy basically at a bar trying to pick up women by showing off his, um, his bank account that like had like $300,000 in it. Oh, and no gross. one gave a shit. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, you should care. <laughs> Good night. I remember some lady, uh, what was it? I'll have a little side story. Some lady, me and me and Stacy were both there. Something was wrong with her car. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. what." And I was like, well, let me take a look at it. It wouldn't start for some reason, but it was like the security thing was beeping and it wouldn't start. So I figured, okay, we just probably need to reset this or whatever. Let me help you with that. And she's like, she, first she was like, how do you know how to fix this and stuff? And I can't say I'm a mechanic or something because I'm not. It's like, oh, I, I work for the company that makes them. I've dealt with this, which I'm, it's not actually true, but I'm pretty sure I'm, not, I'm good at fixing things like that sometimes. And she was telling me everything that was wrong with the car since she got it and i'm like yeah that's terrible that's terrible because i was unhooking her battery and hooking it up or something and and then she went out of her way to tell us oh by the way i'm i'm a millionaire and it's like are you crazy lady <laughs> i didn't say that but i just gave her a weird look it's like here try it with your key good luck and i just i left I, we walked away she's <laughs> like i don't care if it starts or not i think it did but it's like i'm a millionaire by the way it's like what <laughs> do you know how gross that, that i mean it's like ugh, it's so off-putting and, I, and i'm a man this was an older woman like an elderly woman yeah. almost who so it was like and my wife's right there it's like there's why are you telling me this like do i look like i care by the way how much money you got i was like i'm gonna follow you home and murder you is that what you want i mean I, why are you telling people this literally met you five minutes ago but yeah that's weird so i, have I do like show. the one there was another one with the we'll talk about the youtube videos thing real quick where the guy has like a ferrari convertible and it's like all these girls want to ride around with him in it he's like oh, okay i gotta take this back to my friend now and there's a guy waiting because it's that guy's car and he gets in a toyota corolla it's like come on you want to go with me some more and they just walk away it's like well yeah of course <laughs> Speaking of convertible Ferraris, we watched an episode of Miami Vice this week. This uh, is... Season one, episode 14, Golden Triangle, part two. Part two. 
Original air date January January eighteenth, nineteen eighty five. NBC Friday. Lieutenant Castillo must bring down his old enemy, who has passed his organization to his grandsons. They have kidnapped Castillo's long lost life to ensure their escape from prosecution. Showrunner Michael Mann, written by Maurice Hurley and Michael Mann. I think this might be the first Michael Mann episode. I maybe co-wrote the original uh, the pilot. I'm not sure. And directed by David Anspa, who is like. I don't know if you know him. He's like Mr. Indiana. Okay. <laughs> He's from Indiana. His two biggest movies are Hoosiers and Rudy. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's a very Indiana-centric director who made... Those are two really good movies. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, we have Castillo go swimming. Uh, I don't know what song they're using. Did you, uh, did you clock that? I didn't recognize that song. Okay. Because I know this this song wasn't as quite as music heavy as some of them. I, I mean, they had some music for sure. Yeah. But um, it wasn't like some of them have like seven songs or whatever. This one yeah. had maybe five. I think it was a lot of Jan Hammer's score on a lot yeah. of this stuff. Well, Jan Hammer wrote the the, 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 the the overall theme for it's called Golden Triangle. It's it's a thing that plays throughout both episodes. Oh, it's okay. like the theme. There's this called Golden Triangle Suite or something. As far as the other <laughs> yeah. music, I don't know. I could look it up, but it's right. nothing that really caught me. Yeah, the, in the beginning, I wasn't sure. I was like, is this is a dream sequence, a flashback? And it's kind of like all, all yeah. that. Because uh, he's, he's like he's out in the ocean and his wife's there. And they cut to uh, Castillo at some place because Castillo thought his wife was dead. Yeah. Because um, he, he talks about like, they were ambushing some drug dealer in Thailand and then like the CIA like sold them out and there was an ambush against their ambush. And when they, they thought Castillo was dead, but they couldn't find his body. So just in case they wouldn't hand grenaded his house. And so he assumed his wife was dead. <laughs> yeah. And Tubbs and Crockett want to work with Castillo's case, even though uh, Castillo doesn't want him to work it. Cause it would like break protocols or draw their attention away from like, other stuff and yeah he has some line is is like yeah the the miami vice team is not my private investigation service or something yeah yeah. it's a very castillo heavy episode where they try to give him some character development so you have dale minton (laughs) they said he's lally's rabbi for the company which that's cia yeah uh explained by john santucci who's a a regular of michael mann like using thief and and his other all pretty much all his other stuff yeah, I thought I recognized him. Yeah, Castillo is with the DEA, and they're working with the CIA inside Thailand. But the DEA and CIA had alternate uh, goals, so so the CIA, you know, sells him out. Yeah, so there's some beef there. Yeah, this because, is where we get yeah. a little more backstory in Castillo. But Castillo's backstory gets more bizarre than that as the series goes on. Yeah. eventually it's like was this guy directing the cia at some point and then he just became a <laughs> lieutenant in the vice division it, and a lot of, you know a lot of it's about like corruption and not selling out but it's like did you see castillo's house like this is <laughs> this is one of the only episodes where he appears in something other than a suit and tie too it's like yeah. one of like three i think well also it's Minton's supposed to be like retired but he's obviously like working as like a consultant for Lao Li and still working for the CIA in some way. <laughs> yes, General Lao Li, who is this like master chess player who's been, you know, a, 
uh, enemy of Castillo since the since the you know the the drug, DEA days in Thailand where he wiped out his team, but he, he also is like very obvious and says things that are contradictory. Like I've never committed a crime in Miami, and I expect to be treated <laughs> honestly. It's like you hired an assassin in the last episode to go kill people, and they knew you did it. <laughs> and you're also bringing people into the country illegally, which they talk about because they know you did it. But that's there's things I also hate about this show too sometimes. But okay. Also, like they said, like you know, they're saying that they brought her, like his wife in or Castillo's wife in illegally. But then in this episode, it's like her husband works for like a um, like, like mining a, operations or yeah. No, it's like a it's like a mill for but not like a mill, it's like uh for clothing. It's like a Oh, okay. I can't remember what that's called. Works some for some clothing company and they bring his family in on a green card to work there, but really that's all Lao Li's outfit. Yeah. So they think they think they're there like on merit. They don't know they're there as basically as impromptu hostages. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, things kind of move around. Yeah, and uh, they kind of they, they they put themselves in a corner in the previous episode, and they move them back around so it fits the, what they want to eventually get. But you know, it's a two parter written by like four different people, so that's, that's what you get so, sometimes. Because sometimes it's like you can feel the you know very Michael Mann stuff here, where like you have guys committed to their their profession, just quietly talking in the back of a of a car seat, just explaining how the world is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very Michael Mann. Yeah, <laughs> Lowley gathers his family together. He's like, "All right, nobody break, nobody break the law, because like we'll just the law will be all over us the whole time, and so we'll just like stay low the whole time, and then eventually they'll get bored with us, and then we can break the law again." <laughs> but his his sons, who grandsons, grandsons are like have have a Lamborghini that they hooked up with a gaudy horn and like they're going out and doing drug deals on the side. So they obviously don't heed that warning. Yeah. It's just like, and again, we have this master chess player in general, Lao Lee who like his, you know, his kids get picked up importing a, a metric ton of heroin, like some obviously <laughs> insane amount of heroin who seems like a small distributor who's basically running a restaurant as a front for selling heroin. Uh, and also the purest form of heroin you can get. And so Lowley's grandsons get set up in this sting and get arrested. And then uh, Edward James almost is like, let them go. And so like the master chess player, Lowley is like, quickly kidnap them and I will have them strangled in front of me. And, <laughs> and, and then the whole team rushes in and stops it and everyone gets charged and shot and everything else. And it's like, wow, these guys don't seem to, this guy doesn't seem to be like such a strategist after all. <laughs> but you know also like I wrote something like Castillo is supposed to be a shiny knight for of justice who he, he applies it naively so it's not to spoil the law right uh, but we've seen him like we've seen him work in the gray area before like you know remember when the Tubbs and Crockett couldn't get the money for the boat race and he's like Trudy and uh crap you forgetting the other lady's name oh yeah um uh they like they're running a thing you can get their money like in the meantime and Gina use it. So, yeah, Gina. Yeah, so yeah, he knows how to play the play the gray area. Oh yeah, we have Noogie show up and just does a racist impression multiple times. Yeah, which it's the eighties. Yeah, it's the yeah. I'm not I'm not here to forgive it. I will say that like at this time, it felt like you know if you remember like Eddie Murphy Raw, you know comes out around this time. That's one of the most like 
considered one of the best comedic performances of all time and revolutionary. And that's also incredibly problematic and and uh, doesn't work nowadays, but that doesn't necessarily take away from its importance. But. Yeah, it's just like the Sam Kinison, you know, Louder Than Hell. It's like <laughs> yeah. it's one of the best albums you'll ever listen to, but you can't find it anywhere because he says some terrible things in there, which, I mean, I, I don't know why you shouldn't be able to listen to it because if you like go in yeah. knowing he's going to say terrible things but yeah oh yeah I mean, I it's also just weird for my advice because this is kind of the first like kind of like racist thing because like i said before it's actually like a pretty a diverse cast and all that and this is this is the first instance of that like oh this is a problem <laughs> oh, i mean not really but it's weird that they like oh the first time we involve asians in the heat story we have a, <laughs> we get what well, are you doing don't, don't forget the horn that the the grandsons hooked up to their Lamborghini was it, it was that, that Asian, that piano thing. Cause oh. when they honked the horn, it was like, dun, 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 dun. and they thought oh. it was funny. So. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, we're just pointed out. We're not here to, uh, to, uh, to like, Oh, now we can't watch the show. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not one of those people. So. <laughs> Oh yeah, this is like the is this the this has to be the first instance of like a Rico charge, right? Yeah. This is well they talk about the omnibus crime bill of nineteen eighty four in this. Yeah. When Krugs uh Krugs when Tubbs and Crockett are uh shaking down uh Minton, the, uh, Minton saying, Yeah, because Minton has this gaudy house with like a, a room with a mirror on the ceiling and he's always in bed with a bunch of women and it's like yeah all this is going away but don't worry you'll still get your government pension because you're retired from the <laughs> cia right you know yeah tubs mocks food stamps and medicare yeah so. <laughs> yeah with your pension and food stamps and medicare i mean you know you'll be fine oh. uh which is weird i guess it's like, well it's in yeah, the see, 80s. These, yeah but it's also just meant that like you know for the past you know 40 years it's like you know those government services that that are supposed to help people well obviously nobody believes that they actually help anybody yeah for the for the entire time they've existed now that's the thing with the american system it's like even at that time it's like well you won't starve to death on the streets unless you want to but uh you're not going to live much above that unless you get out there and sell drugs so we can (laughs) use unjust asset forfeiture stuff to steal (laughs) that money from you and drive around in your ferrari because that's America. I also have an over like so this comes over like Tubbs either has his snub nose thirty eight or he has a sawn off shotgun. Like, is that legal at the time or is it okay because he's a cop? I think it's okay because <laughs> he's a cop. Okay. Because <laughs> he either has a really small gun or a really big one, but that's you know it's there's nothing in the middle. It's like yeah. How about an automatic nine millimeter that holds lots of bullets? Now I'll just take this double barreled shotgun and my little (laughs) trusty five shot 38 (laughs) with guys are running around with like machine guns. Like, I'll be fine. And he always is because he's the main character. So that's how it works. Yeah. They end up catching Lee at the end and basically everybody goes to jail and it's, it's like, Oh, we solved that problem. (laughs) Uh, Well, also like Castillo, like reconciles with his wife, but like she's already remarried and has a son. Which I put a question mark. Is that his son or not? I yeah, know. I was wondering about that at first, but uh, I'm not sure. But uh, but they basically tell them what's going on, and now they go back to Thailand because the the uh, job they worked for was owned by Lao Lee. So basically, now they don't have to have a job or a or a work visa, so they can't stay in Miami. I think that's right. Right? Basically, they are leaving at the end of the show. I think so. Okay. I'm not. Yeah, you know, people with that kind of money, you know, you never know. 
especially back then. Uh, or textile. I think that's the word I was working for. Yeah, textiles. Yeah. But he was totally there under like false pretenses. And, and he seemed like oh, took accepting of that. It's like, what about my life here? Because if I go back there, <laughs> isn't this guy's like friends going to kill me? <laughs> well, we don't worry about these things. Details, well, details, detail. Get on that plane. <laughs> we have Lao Lee in jail. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, that's that's your that's your that's your bargaining chip somebody else has your boss in jail because yeah, i think yeah. this is the last time any of these people appear in miami vice and the entire huh. canon of it so huh um, but that we didn't start like the guys come back and it's multi that gets in like season three season four yeah where you have the real like the episodes where they are standalone episodes but the like the overarching evil is still thanos in the marvel yeah yeah, yeah they, they all they all evil is always out there but it's not on every episode but it's all connected <laughs> so if, if you've liked what you heard and how couldn't you you can find this podcast at Verhoeven. i mean you listen to it somehow but you can find it anchor.fm slash Verhoeven effect the way i like to remember as well Verhoeven Effect is Verho, V-R-H-O, and then even at the end, uh, you also get there through VerhoevenEffect.com. Uh, we are listener-supported, so you can, for a monthly stipend, you can support us at 99 cents, or 4.99, or 9.99 a month. We also have another podcast, American Green Factory uh, Podcast. You can download that also from apple podcasts or wherever you get podcasts it says spotify took it off spotify wherever <laughs> finer podcasts are sold <laughs> you can also find uh, us on youtube at american greed factory uh where you can see this show live and unedited if you wish uh, <laughs> uh also on twitch at twitch slash greed factory where i play in the mornings i play uh, I do have podcasts, puzzles and podcasts. I play puzzle games and listen to podcasts. It's kind of low effort content everybody can get behind. Yep. Uh, also, lately I've been playing uh, a game I'm good at, or at least I think I'm good at, called Trials, which is a weird motorcycle game that's kind of puzzly. Uh, I play that because uh, I think I'm good at it. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, so for the Verhoeven Effect podcast, this has been Conlon. And this is Nathan. Goodbye, America. Goodbye, America.